Alright guys, how's it going? Monero Mateo back with another video for you guys. Now Josh, thank you so much for bringing a lot of this to my attention. And I gotta tell you what, because of a lot of y'all's comments on the videos, I have learned like an entire library of Alexandria worth of content about gold, about Bitcoin, about a lot of things. You guys have brought so much to my attention. There's something else I'm working on because of somebody who commented on another video of ours. And he mentioned Cash Shuffle in regards to Bitcoin Cash. And this sort of ties into what Josh was getting me to look into, which is what we're going to go through today, which is how Bitcoin was compromised. And that brought me to Roger Vera. And Roger Vera has been very critical of Bitcoin over the last few years. He's been very pro-Bitcoin Cash because of cheaper transaction fees, larger block sizes, which allows for more transactions per second, things like this. It's still a surveillance coin as far as I could tell. And by the way, guys, I've made the decision that we're going to stop calling Monero, Darrow, Pirate Chain at all. We're going to stop calling these things privacy coins because at the end of the day, if it's not private by default, then it's not an actual form of hard money because it's not, it's not fungible, especially in this environment where you have technocratic tyranny taking over. And we're going to get to some of this in this article, but if they can identify certain coins which are... Uh, not allowed to be mined, that is to say that they're blacklisted, or they are in some ways tainted because of the transactions that they're involved with, their history, which can be tracked and traced as we've gone through many times on this channel, then the value of those coins has to be different than the value of other coins. And this is not an element of money which can be sound. And so... We're going to get to all that. There's so much to talk about. But Bitcoin is a surveillance coin. It is a surveillance coin. And so is Bitcoin Cash and a lot of these other public blockchains, which we need to get out of, guys. We need to have this become a serious movement. We need to get people away from these coins. And a lot of people are sedated by the gains that they're getting with these coins. And you see this a lot in financial markets. People invest in speculative things and they start to make money. And then they start to justify everything from that point of dopamine hits. It's like, okay, well, this is succeeding, clearly. The goals are good. It's sort of like the soprano wife complex. You know, it's like, you know, you're living a lavish lifestyle. Things are getting better. And you're not really trying to look behind the scenes. You're not really trying to see where all this activity is coming from that allows you to live this way and allows you to have these gains. And so... You just don't really ask questions. And as we'll see here, you actively censor and develop a bias against people who want to inform you as to the problem of what it is that's allowing you to live a better life. And this is how the globalists, this is how the people who are trying to take over the world get you. Okay, This is why uh, adult entertainment is everywhere in our society. It's a sedative. This is why Netflix and all these other things are so popular, also compromised by the globalists. This is why they're so popular. Everything's about making you feel good so that they can continue to take over from underneath. And the crypto community was caught so off guard by everything that was happening in the Senate in regards to all of this stuff regarding uh, you know, everyone becoming a broker and everybody having to essentially put up with insane amounts of regulation if this bill is passed. Nobody really saw this coming. Nobody really cared. There was no blockchain uh, 
There's no blockchain party or caucus in politics because everybody was busy making money. Oh, of course it's going to work out. We're all making money. We're all getting rich. It's all getting. It's all going to go great. And then all of a sudden the globalists are like, nope, sorry, see ya. And they can do that. They can make it so that you don't have per permission because these things are, again, surveillance coins. And they can watch everything you do. And if you don't want to comply with the government, they can track you down. They can see whether or not you've been a good old boy to pay your taxes. And again, I suspect that these public blockchains are going to be used to harvest taxes from the people involved with these projects. And at some point, I'm telling you guys, unrealized capital gains taxes, if they really start to see this as a threat, is going to happen. Where they don't even tax you on the gains you get from selling your Bitcoin. It's going to be on the gains that you just have with Bitcoin sitting in your wallet. Okay? So... A lot of developments in regards to that. We need to bring people into the true cryptocurrency space, which is the space led by the great standard of Monero. And that is our goal here on this channel with Monero Mateo and everyone else who is a part of this channel. I mean, we have a community, I think, going on here of some pretty smart fellows. So feel free to subscribe. Feel free to join and share those links. Like the videos. But today we're going to go into detail as to how Bitcoin was compromised. There is so much information here that I want to go through. So this might be a little bit longer of a video, especially if I keep ranting without getting into the content. So let me shut up <laughs> and get into this stuff. Okay, so the story of how Bitcoin was compromised. And I'm going to try to skip through all the stuff that we are aware of, the background of cryptocurrency. All right, so cryptocurrency is to money what the internet is to information. It is a powerful and potent technology with the power of transformation or transforming the world. It is an evolutionary tool in the sense that it is already propelling humanity forward. Crypto will help human beings abolish banks, governments, and other organizations with single points of failure. Okay, so there it is. There it is identified the enemy. Okay, the uh, antagonist of this story. And in regards to the character arc, I guess you could say, to put into storytelling terms, of Bitcoin, you know, the banks, the governments, these are your green goblins. These are your venoms. These are uh, whatever enemy you want to fill in the blank with. You know, these are your people to execute Order 66. Nonetheless, the visionaries, entrepreneurs, and iconoclasts cannot let the utility of this tool cause them to let their guard down. They cannot let themselves be swept away in the hype, as we have seen, because cryptocurrencies are not invulnerable. In a way, Bitcoin, the initial cryptocurrency, was damaged in a hacking maneuver against it. And we'll get to that a little bit later. How there was a bug, and the, developer, the developers kept it a secret. There was an inflation problem. Somebody had discovered it, and nobody wanted to talk about it. They wanted to fix it behind the scenes. In some ways, you want to do that to not have a panic, but it's kind of dishonest. It's kind of dishonest. makes you not really trust the protocol. In a way, Bitcoin, the initial cryptocurrency, was damaged in a hacking maneuver against it, demonstrating that these tools are not impervious to attack. And yes, this is a new form of technology, so that there is reason to suspect that there will be problems with it that will have to be patched up. And we saw this with Monero recently. There was a bug which uh, allowed for some information to leak out, causing a problem in regards to the privacy element of it. 
Now they're working on patching it up, and once that's done, it's going to be stronger than it was before. We shouldn't expect that when these protocols are coming out and are being developed as they are continuously being developed, they are going to be perfect. There are going to be flaws. There are going to be bugs, and these are going to have to be fixed over time. So in a way, as we'll get to, you have to invest in the community, and the Monero community is the most hardcore community that there is. Now we'll see if the community can be bought off in the same way that the Bitcoin community can. But I don't think that's going to be the case because you've got a lot of people who understand economics, who understand the dilemma that we are in and the necessity to have private money. This is going to change the world. It is true the technology that allows Bitcoin to function, the blockchain is anti-fragile, resilient, but it has an Achilles tendon. There is at least one attack vector that can harm Bitcoin. Matter of fact, when someone creates an allegedly unassailable technology, it practically invites people to launch attacks against it. Like the banks, like the governments, and our other Sith Lords, right? So, however, the weakness attackers exploited was not based in coder mathematics. Instead, the attackers targeted a more vulnerable aspect of the technology, the community. Yes, and the community is the human error involved in all this stuff. So it really matters who is going to be working on these projects. You always have to check out the team. You always have to invest in the team. Uh, the attackers uh, infiltrated the community and compromised Bitcoin to alter the cryptocurrency's original purpose. They changed Bitcoin from a threatening, extremely efficient peer-to-peer -peer cash system, cash system, into a less frightening, slower, and more cumbersome cryptocurrency. Surveillance coin. It is now called Bitcoin Core or Segwit Coin rather than Satoshi Nakamoto's amazing invention, Bitcoin. And we'll get to this a little bit later, but there's this cope which has turned into part of the doctrine of Bitcoin, which is, oh, it's digital gold. Okay, that's not what Satoshi Nakamoto set out to have Bitcoin be. He wanted it to be cash, okay? In regards to the precious metal system, cash was silver, Bitcoin was something that you, you know, put into your vault or you settled large corporate payments with or was stored up by governments in order to have a reserve of uh, value. But he wanted it to be cash, which means it had to be efficient. It had to be something that had low transaction costs, something which was quick. And the attack happened, back to the article, almost imperceptibly, somewhat slowly, dragged out over the course of time. The attack was so successful that many people do not feel Bitcoin was attacked at all. Let me just make sure I'm recording. Is my mic working? Okay. I should check all this stuff before, but this is because the psychology of the community has warped, has been warped in the process. Right, and when there are gains, people start to care less and less about what's actually happening. They get caught up in the excitement. And uh, they get overconfident, and that's when you allow your rear to be exposed, and they sneak up on you. It all started with a debate on how to scale Bitcoin back in 2014 and 15. The scaling debate took place primarily on Reddit and BitcoinTalk.org because these sites are where the community has regularly convened to discuss matters within the ecosystem. Shortly after the debate started, Individuals appeared to rally to the side of the core development team, as well as the Blockstream company, which we'll get to here in a little bit, who promoted the notion that Bitcoin cannot scale by increasing the block size. 
And for those of you who don't know, if you want to increase the scale of a cryptocurrency, you have to increase the block size. When it comes to Monero, the block size uh, is adaptable. And so it increases if there are more transactions to process, and then it decreases. And you guys can go into the whole technical element of that. And guys, if I say anything wrong here on a technical level, please correct me. I am open to correction. I am a student when it comes to a lot of this stuff. And so uh, I, I'm not a cryptographer. I am not somebody who is well-versed in a lot of the things that get down to the deets uh, in regards to the technology element. So if you are well versed in that, please leave comments. Please call me out on my BS if I'm giving it to you. We want to be honest here on this channel. The core spokespeople said Bitcoin can never reach the throughput transaction level that the Visa and MasterCard networks achieve by scaling on-chain. And so they're coming up with a lightning network. On-chain just means on the original blockchain protocol. And so now they're coming up with layer two solutions to make that better. In order for Bitcoin to reach this level of growth, second layer solutions, as we just talked about, would need to be deployed. This would occur by the addition of a protocol referred to as SegWit. And this was written back in 2018, mind you. It would solve the transaction malleability problem and allow for the clean addition of second layer protocols, they say. Or said, core supporters vehemently argued against any and all block size increases. They said it is not a solution that allows for exponential growth. It would also cause more mining centralization in Bitcoin, leading to the possibility of a 51% of attack. So mining in Bitcoin is going to get ever more centralized because you have economies of scale. You can deploy less energy costs if everything is concentrated into one place to mine the Bitcoin. So it's more profitable if you've got entities which can mine more at once instead of people mining it all over the world. Uh, especially if the price gains settle down, if the transaction costs settle down and more transactions are being had on the Lightning Network, which doesn't require transactions on the chain. And as the halving continues, as the rewards decline, you're going to have more economies of scale to inch ever more profit out of mining. As far as I understand, for anyone paying attention, back to the article, these arguments would have sounded odd because Bitcoin was intended to scale on-chain, like Monero. It is true there was a block size limit of one megabyte, but this hard limit was only implemented to prevent network spam. The hard limit was meant to be increased as the network expanded. Right. The fear of centralization is also misguided. Bitcoin can scale on-chain without much centralization because technology grows at an exponential rate. So that's saying that the capacity to process these transactions and to secure the network at the same time would be, uh, uh, so this explains it. This is expressed in both Moore's Law and the Law of Accelerating Returns as demonstrated by Ray Kurzweil. In this sense, technology would keep pace with Bitcoin growth to curb the possibility of increasing centralization. So things would be able to remain decentralized because people would have better technology as we went through time, which means that better technology could accommodate bigger block sizes. Censorship campaign. We've got a little bit to talk about in regard to this. 
From the vantage point of an outsider, it would have certainly looked like the core supporters were winning the debate and gaining more attraction all across popular forums where the Bitcoin commentary raged. There seemed to be no defense of on-chain scaling. In fact, the forums would have looked like an echo chamber to most people. However, in reality, core supporters did not have consensus. There were a lot of people singing the praises of Satoshi by pleading for an on-chain scaling solution. They wanted to expand the block size and meet market demand. They were even willing to compromise, whereas core supporters were not. And so there's a debate about this, and there was sort of a civil war type element happening where you had people wanting to expand the block size to facilitate more adoption capacity and those who didn't want that to happen. And as we'll see, the people who did not want that to happen censored the people who did want that to happen, and the people who didn't want that to happen had a profit incentive because they were going to be those entities behind making this the Layer 2 solutions that you would have to pay in order to get access to. So problem, reaction, solution. The reason it looked like core supporters were winning is because they had began censoring posts they disagreed with. As soon as people created a post about on-chain scaling, moderators deleted those posts. And Roger Ver has talked a lot about this over the years. And this is one thing which pushed the public perspective into the camp of core supporters, not expanding the blockchain size or block size. They made claims that scaling on-chain wasn't the goal of Bitcoin, and those wanting to scale on-chain were essentially talking about another coin or fork. Moderators and core supporters got into their head that scaling Bitcoin on-chain was somehow antithetical to Bitcoin. They used this as an excuse to delete posts containing arguments for on-chain scaling. The leader behind this agenda was Themos. He was known for moderating the R Bitcoin subreddit. And uh, he ran a censorship campaign. So the attempts to discuss the expansion of the block size were repeatedly blocked by a small group of developers. In a recent years, discussion of the increasing limit has been censored from some of Bitcoin's largest discussion forums all of which are moderated by the same individual who posts using the handle Thamos. What is forbidden includes any discussion of code changes that proposes increasing the limitation. So it got pretty culty. It should be clear now how Bitcoin was compromised. Well, it's not entirely clear yet. There's a lot more information I think we need to go to to come to that conclusion. But we could say, we could say that there is an active attempt to influence public perceptions to accomplish a certain goal. There was a propaganda campaign of sorts. A group of developers gained trust of the community in order to divert the path of Bitcoin, the original path of Bitcoin set up by the Satoshi White Paper in 2008. They used censorship to obscure the debate. During this time frame, many of the original developers were expunged from the project. This includes Mike Hearn and Gavin Andresen, who Satoshi himself appointed to keep Bitcoin on track prior to leaving the project and sailing off into the sunset like Frodo Baggins after the Lord of the Rings, I imagine, into the great beyond. The insurgent developers did not share 
Satoshi's vision. So it was a revolution of sorts. They did not believe that Bitcoin could or should scale so that everyone can use it as cash. They believed Bitcoin should be a store of value or commodity. They suggested that high fees and slow confirmation times are a good thing for Bitcoin. These developers were either economically ignorant or purposely maneuvering to destroy Bitcoin. So there is an argument. Let me guys know what you think about this argument. There's an argument that because the code isn't subject to a lot of change in regards to the fundamentals like the block size, that makes it a code that is worthy of more confidence on the behalf of the people who invest in the blockchain. And because it doesn't change on a fundamental level too frequently, and it doesn't adopt with market conditions or technological conditions, it just kind of stays the same, that gives it more of a gold quality, and that gives people more confidence that it is a safe blockchain to invest in, aside from all the privacy problems. So let me guys let me know what you guys think about that. That is an interesting argument I've heard from somebody. Now, the whole idea of Bitcoin being digital gold, I think, is completely ridiculous. I'd rather have the real gold. Like, seriously, I mean, I'm a crypto guy. I like crypto. But if it comes down to Bitcoin or gold, dude, I'm, I'm choosing gold every time. Gold, I can hold in my hand. It could be melted down. It could be made into jewelry. It could be made into watches, necklaces. It could be made for adornments to your home. It can be used as in India as a way to adorn the bride with jewelry and things like this. It can be used as shavings over food to add a fancy quality to it. It can be used as a conductive metal. Same thing with silver. Silver has way more uses than gold, especially in, a, in industrial capacity. And so I'd, I'd much rather have these than Bitcoin. Bitcoin are just digits that sit there. When it comes to cryptocurrency, I want it to be a currency. I don't want it to be just something that sits there and accumulates value. Value in what way? Why does it accumulate value? Because if I'm not going to use it as a currency, what's the value of it? What is the value of it? Why not just buy Monero? Why not just buy some other cryptocurrency that you're actually going to use? And if, if it's used, if it has liquidity, and you can go on many exchanges, and they don't accept Bitcoin anymore. They only accept Monero. And when I say exchanges, I'm talking about marketplaces. A lot of these on the dark web, they only accept Monero because it's truly private. What is the value of getting Bitcoin instead of Monero? If people would rather take other currencies. I don't understand this. It only has value because other people see it as having value and they don't want to sell it. And right now we're in this like adoption phase and more people are getting into it, which is incentivizing people to hold on to it. Most of the whales aren't selling their Bitcoins, which means there is less liquidity into the market. And so as more people buy into the market, the propensity for the price to go up is that much more. And so my question is, once that adoption stops, why would you rather have Bitcoin instead of gold? Now, you could get in on the bubble at some point, maybe the developers decide if they come out with unrealized capital gains tax or something like that, and the government figures, figures out who owns which wallet. Maybe they want to front-run that unrealized capital gains tax. They hear something from a senator, and they sell. And if Bitcoin starts to go down, 
how good is that digital gold argument? Because a lot of people gave up on that argument back in 2018 when Bitcoin crashed. And in other times when Bitcoin crashed, people didn't talk about digital gold then. Just some thoughts. Just some thoughts. And you see a lot of this stuff on Twitter. Just one more comment about the gains of Bitcoin versus the gains of gold and how gold hasn't kept up with inflation and Bitcoin has rapidly outperformed inflation. Again, because of the adoption, because of the S-curve that happens with anything that's adopted in a market. Okay. Gold is manipulated to the downside. Anyone who watches this channel understands that. If you are tuned into the gold market and silver market, you understand it's significantly manipulated. The inflation adjusted high for silver is between like, you know, 350 and $500 going back to 1980. In 1980, the high of silver was $50. And that was before all in the industrial uses came online to, make, to use silver for electronics. And the mines aren't mining as much of it. There are major silver shortages around the world. And yet silver right now is only at $25 an ounce. And accounting for all the inflation that's happened with the dollar since 1980, yeah, the inflation adjusted highs, 350 to $500. But still, the price has been kept in a particular range for a very long time. And the speculation is that it's because these big corporations which need to use silver, like Apple, like Tesla, and other big tech companies, they need the price low. And not only that, keeping the price low also covers up the amount of inflation which has happened to the dollar. And they keep the CPI in check. And if you're going to keep the CPI in check by changing the way it's calculated, which they've done many times since the 1980s, then you're also going to need to, need to control the price of gold and silver. Because if you don't, and it goes up concomitantly with the devaluation of the currency, people are going to rush into gold and silver and use that instead of the dollar. People are going to freak out about inflation. They're going to leave. So it's a way of managing the narrative. And so that argument is false. That argument is false. And in fact, that should give you more incentive to get into silver and gold because once that mechanism breaks to keep the price down, I mean, some people think silver is going to go to above $1,000 an ounce. It's going to be insane. And we could talk about that more later. I'll link the video to the right. Over there, I'm not sure. Their ideas about harming Bitcoin, back to the article, their ideas about harming Bitcoin came to fruition. During the winter of 2017, Bitcoin reached its highest price level near the $20,000 mark. However, during this time, Bitcoin fees also skyrocketed. And if I know this enough, it's because the block size, or the blocks got filled up and we'll get to that later. They reached an average of $28 per transaction while confirmation time slowed at a snail's pace. $28. At the beginning of January, the damage was felt across the ecosystem. And as the price collapsed and the whole cryptocurrency market felt the uh, uh, reverberations. And mind you, during this time, once the transaction fees started to go up significantly in Bitcoin, that's when you you started to see altcoins really take off. Like Cardano, like Bitcoin Cash, or uh, was Bitcoin Cash out yet? I think it was. And you started to see other alts take off because investors were looking at this increase in transaction costs. They're like, oh, this isn't going to work. We need to go into these other cryptocurrencies which have lower transaction costs. Like Cardano, the transaction costs were basically nothing. It's fantastic. 
It's true that Bitcoin's price has collapsed as much or more in the past, but this particular collapse has been partially blamed on the scaling debate. Remember, this is 2018 and high fees that plagued Bitcoin. It is still not known whether the core team, including Blockstream, purposely undermined Bitcoin. Well-known people like Jeff Berwick, we love Jeff Berwick on this channel. We love Jeff Berwick and Lucy have suggested Blockstream was compromised because they were bought out by AXA Insurance. Berwick goes on to say the head of AXA is the same person who heads the Bilderberg Group. And if you guys don't know who they are, look them up. We're not going to go into that now. But it's basically a group of people who try to make plans for the world. They're globalists. According to Berwick, it appears that the central bankers bought out Bitcoin in order to destroy it or hamstring it. And if you can entice people to go into it, and, you know, give the plebe some gains, then uh, nobody will say anything. And so the entire cryptocurrency community, in a way, got bought out by the banksters to not advance crypto against their interests. Just my personal opinion. Tell me what you guys think in the comments. In a Dollar Vigilante article, Berwick said, Blockstream is the biggest funder of Bitcoin Core and employs many of the developers. Who owns Blockstream? Well, one of the main shareholders is insurance giant AXA, CEO and chairman of both the Bilderberg Group and AXA are the same person, Henry de Castries. Yes, essentially the person most in control of Bitcoin development is the chairman of Bilderberg. Now let's just do some research on this. Just so that you guys can understand this, French businessman. He looks globalisty. AXA became the first global financial institution to shun investments in coal companies. Okay, so they're leftists. And a lot of the, well, we're not going to get into that now. It's just, it's going to be a long video already. Exit tobacco investments. Okay, that's fine. He became a member of the French Treasury. That's probably not corrupt at all as an organization. So he served as president of the board of Equitable, which became AXA. I don't see anything on the Bilderbergs here. Oh, goodness. Okay, here we go. Oh, my Lord. Chairman of the steering committee, the Carnegie Endowment. Oh, Lord. Yep. Nestle, LeapFrog, HSBC, hey, <laughs> we did a video on them. They were laundering money for the Sinaloa cartel, and nobody went to jail or anything like that. German Council on Foreign Relations, oh, here we go, here we go, the globalist is coming out, Paris School of International Affairs, yep, globalist, yep, totally. This guy is in charge of... Oh, come on. Blockstream? Okay, let's let's dig deeper into this. This is piquing my interest now. Total globalist. Okay, so this guy's commenting on this. Understand the enemy we're fighting against. He's got Blockstream connections. One of the main shareholders is... This guy, okay, yeah, so it looks pretty well established. Crypto crime cartel, 
Oh, we're going down the rabbit hole, ladies and gentlemen. Let's do this. Crypto crime cartel behind Adam Back. Uh, this is in May 2021, so this is a recent article by CoinGeek. Steven Stradbrook. Blockstream CEO Adam Back desperately wants to be seen as Bitcoin's all-father despite his ongoing efforts to strangle Bitcoin in its cradle. Here we go. In April, Back gave a podcast interview in which the host awarded Back the title of Inventor of Proof of Work. It's probably not true. Back. And a lot of people think Adam Back is Satoshi Nakamoto, just so you guys know. And we have a video on that later to get into. This is going to be a long video, just warning you guys. We have so much to go through. He likes Monero, but he doesn't think society's ready for it. Yeah, right. We're ready. Bring it on. Where did that article go? Okay, here we go. Uh, so this goes into hash cash, blah, blah, blah. Talking about his connection to Satoshi. So this goes into the background of all this. I'm not really that interested in the history of this. I just want to see the connections. Show me the connects. He's talking about Craig Wright. I don't care about all this stuff. Blockstream, good. In 2014, Back co-founded Blockstream. The same Blockstream funded by the globalists, which stated its mission as finding an architecturally sound and permissionless way to extend Bitcoin. Uh, Back had written, can't be evil on a whiteboard while crafting their ethos. Okay, that's... That's insane. Everyone's got the seed of evil. This is why we choose Christ. Given what was to come, we assumed that whiteboard actually read, can we achieve success by telling people the truth? Can't be evil. I don't know what that means. Just come on, get to the point. Blockstream quickly unveiled its concept for sidechains to relieve pressure by permanently blocking the stream of Bitcoin transactions at six megabytes per hour, which was good for about seven transactions per second, which is nothing. Blockstream envisioned different sidechains that they would profit from that would allow transactions large and small to occur away from the main chain through the use of proprietary tokens in lieu of Bitcoin's then primary to token, Bitcoin Cash. This is what we saw in the video about uh, the Liquid Network, where you would exchange and swap, if you're using this Layer 2 network, your Bitcoin for one of these liquid tokens, which would then be used to swap at the other end of the chain for Bitcoin to the person you're giving it to. As far as I understand, if you're more technical, please explain. But that's what we concluded from that, with our elementary understanding of the deets. Numerous Satoshi con communications that emerged following the white paper's release stated unambiguously that one megabyte was always intended as a stopgap solution for a temporary security problem. And that size of the individual blocks would need to increase dramatically as Bitcoin's popularity grew. Yes, which is what you would want if you would want adoption. This is why Bitcoin Cash became the popular fork sponsored by Roger Ver, who was the initial Bitcoin guy. He, he was called Bitcoin Jesus. And then he saw all this stuff happen. And he's like, okay, we got to get out of here. This has been co-opted. And we got to start our own thing now, Bitcoin Cash, which has had almost no success, unfortunately. Relative to Bitcoin, 
Back claimed to be amenable to small increases, proposing an immediate doubling of blocks at 2 megabytes, rising to 4 megabytes in two years, and blah, blah, blah. So it would be increased. This is back in 2015. Back uh, opposed larger increases, claiming it would interfere with the average Bitcoin user's ability to operate a network node. Which would become easier with the technological advancements, as we talked about before. More people would be able to operate nodes, even if block sizes increase, because people had a better technology to handle that increased uh, traffic. Okay, so this just goes into the civil war that they're having. So this is the key thing I want to get to. Blockstream plans to sell sidechains to enterprises, charging a fixed monthly fee, taking transaction fees, and even selling hardware. So they hampered Bitcoin, as far as I could tell, so that they could be the ones, the central entity, to offer the solutions to Bitcoin's problem and oversee... On top of that, the development of Bitcoin. So they developed a way to profit off Bitcoin's lack of efficiency. And then they could have centralized oversight over the developments that happened to Bitcoin so that they could manage it however the globalists need it to be managed so that they can keep it away from their financial interests in the ownership of the financial system, which, as I say over and over again in these videos, is a system of bondage. A system of total servitude that they're trying to bring all of us down in and create a neo, neo feudal society. So, back later confirmed the accuracy of this quote via his Twitter account. In other words, Blockstream had a financial incentive to artificially constrain Bitcoin's capacity to handle transactions because otherwise there would be no need for Blockstream's proprietary off ramps. Exactly. Oh, this is ugly. Blockstream's limited vision for the Bitcoin protocol became known as Bitcoin Core appropriately named due to its focus on steadily stripping Bitcoin of any functionality beyond a supposed store of value, a.k.a. digital gold. Meanwhile, other voices in the Bitcoin community continue to push for larger blocks and the restoration of script functions to expand Bitcoin's use case. So Blockstream fought dirty because it was fighting for its very existence. So this goes into more detail in regards to that and uh, talks about Lightning Network a little bit. We're going to have to get into that in another video. It's just there's so much to talk about here. Liquid Network, uh, Lightning. So this is what we need to get to, guys. This is just so key. As for the investors, let me just make sure I'm still recording. This is just such good information. As for the investors, Blockstream had disclosed, or has disclosed, they include some unlikely partners for a purported cypherpunk such as Back. Among the most prominent names is an offshoot of French insurance giant AXA, which at the time of its Blockstream investment was run by Henry de Castries, then chairman of the Bilderberg Group, the secretive group of elites that meets annually to discuss ways to safeguard global capitalism and it's not capitalism i mean i'm going to be a stickler about that we don't have capitalism we haven't had capitalism ever since 1913 the introduction of the federal reserve ever since 
then it's been downhill, especially with FDR, which introduced corporate socialism. Private profits, corporate or a uh, private profits, public costs and expenditures. All of us pay for the enrichment of the corporations and the owners thereof. That is not capitalism. That is fascism. Blockstream also received support from the digital currency group DCG, the Barry Silbert-led outfit backed by a handful of traditional finance firms, including New York Life and MasterCard. Among DCG's other funding recipients is Lightning Labs, the face of the Lightning Network, as well as multiple exchanges, including Coinbase and Kraken, which have now become totally centralized and controlled because of the KYC laws and the AML laws, which make it so that if you buy crypto on these exchanges, they know who you are. And if you take your crypto off the exchanges, they will track that crypto, and you are on the grid, ladies and gentlemen. They're part of the surveillance network. Especially if they pass this bill, which I suspect they will, the infrastructure bill, the surveillance and the regulatory apparatus is going to get that much more strict. And, uh, yeah, if you use the exchanges, you're going to find yourself under the scrutiny of the government and of the globalists who don't want you to be free. And so that is a problem. DCG also owns cryptocurrency media site Coindesk, ensuring a steady stream of positive coverage for Blockstream-related projects that is often repeated verbatim by other crypto news sites and a growing number of global mainstream media types. So just to fulfill my curiosity, to quench my curiosity, let's see what they think of Monero. Coindesk, Monero. Monero Prize. So the first article that comes up is about Monero Mantini, Fluffy Pony being arrested for fraud charges. Bug found a decoy algorithm for privacy coin Monero. Arrested. Not much positive coverage. So this looks like a decent article. Crypto directory shows continued interest in Monero adoption. And this is awesome news for us. So if they give good news, kudos to them. The adoption of Monero by merchants continues to rise. Let's see, is there any hedging here? That looks like a positive article. Sweet. The concentration of merchants in the U.S. was interesting given the privacy coins have been under increased scrutiny. And we don't call them privacy coins. They are just cryptos. Everything else is surveillance coin. And Perkins Coie came out with the paper saying that privacy-enabling cryptocurrencies, which, again, guys, it's so key to understand this. If you don't have privacy, it's not a legit currency. It's not a legit form of money, period. We're not in need of specific and ratcheted-up AML regulations. We'll see about that. And it ends with a lovely statement. Ultimately, absent evidence that existing AML regulations cannot adequately address the risks posed by privacy coins. There is no reason to impose new and overbroad AML requirements that specifically target privacy coins. Well, that's a nice article that they wrote. But otherwise, some negative stuff. You'd think that they would see Monero as a 
enemy. I just wanted to sort of check that out. You may not want to look into the funding sources of Blockstream's Japanese venture firm, Digital Garage. But should you decide to, there is an interesting tangent about laundering money donated to the core developer group at MIT by none other than Jeffrey. And get out of here, dude. Oh, nuh-uh. <laughs> Hold on. The deep dive continues. I'm so happy you guys are patient enough to come with me on these uh, rabbit hole ventures. Jeffrey Epstein, Blockstream. Okay, let's just, let's get in. Is Adam back linked to Jeffrey Epstein? Oh, God, come on, guys. This is just, my mind is getting a little bit blown right now. Vitalik Buterin refutes claims. Okay, well, that's kind of good. Is tenuous at best. I mean, tenuous isn't good either. But social media posters noted potential flows of funds between MIT Media Lab and Blockstream, a company for Bitcoin-related services. Now, just because Epstein funded the MIT Media Lab doesn't necessarily mean the entirety of the MIT Media Lab is bad. I think the MIT Media Lab came out with Algorand, I'm not sure if that is a terrible crypto. It's a surveillance coin at the end of the day, so maybe not. So you can read into this if you want to. Talking about Epstein being a pretty bad guy. So what did he say? What did he say? What did Vitalik say? I don't see... His statement here. Let's stop abusing tragedies to push agendas and focus on substance, please. Ashamed to see anti-BTC people trying so hard to focus on this third-degree connection to argue BTC dev is horribly corrupt. I mean, brother, I love your project, Ethereum, but... We're talking about globalists here, okay? We're talking about some of the most evil scum on the planet backing Blockstream. Connections to Epstein after everything we just read is not helpful, okay? So, yeah, you can read into that. Just more stuff. More stuff. Okay, so... Uh, Blockstream has recently been expanding its crypto mining operations with lightning and liquid strategy of keeping all but infrequent summary transaction records off BTC's main chain. Blockstream appears to be betting that other miners will soon find the activity financially unsustainable leaving blockstream to pick up the pieces blockstream appears determined to establish itself by, as the btc's walmart or the btc's federal reserve or something btc's government structure a vertically integrated custodian that will continue to publicly sing decentralization's praises even even as it consolidates ever greater power in its own hands Adam Back wanted to be seen as Bitcoin's progenitor, and there already is this sort of movement to see him be crowned Satoshi Nakamoto, as far as I could tell. There's like a battle between him and Craig Wright. 
I don't think most people believe credit right is the original Bitcoin, but I'll leave that to you guys. I haven't dug down that rabbit hole. I don't even care who the progenitor of Bitcoin is. Satoshi Nakamoto. I'd like to believe it's some like, you know, Taoist monk somewhere in the mountains who's also a genius who made Bitcoin. And now he's just meditating in some shrine somewhere. Like, that sounds cool to me. Let's just leave it like that. Instead, he will go down in history as one of the chief architects of its demise. So, interesting stuff. Just so much interesting stuff. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Others have stayed more conservative, saying if governments or other entities wanted to harm Bitcoin... They would likely do it by causing major divisiveness within the community. Yep, divide and conquer. They would slowly build a community of distrust and cause a break and mutual understanding throughout the ecosystem. So that seems to have happened. Whether it was diverted on purpose or by coincidence is up for debate. The point is that cryptocurrencies can be harmed if they are not protected and nurtured. Sorry, I'll speak closer into the mic. If the community lets their guard down for a moment, it's possible to damage cryptocurrencies either by negligence or infiltration. And negligence becomes easy if you become so high on the gains. And the gains could definitely be a tool of that. So that's why I like Monero, because the central project is just so important and critical. I mean, it's not just about making a whole bunch of money, guys. This is about fighting the evil empirical system or imperial not empirical it's empirical it's empirically imperial but i think the monero community is the best community to go with i mean you go on the reddit people are for real about their privacy they're for real about being real money they're for real about saving the world from the financial elites which do things that jeffrey epstein does a lot of them more stuff about leon black coming out today who's another financialist globalist we have to defeat these people, guys. We have to defeat these people. I'm not going to put up with these people anymore. And I don't care if I lose millions of dollars of gains. I'm not going back to Bitcoin. I'm not going to give my money to the likes of these globalists. Excuse me. On the bright side, not all is lost. And now he sells Bitcoin Cash. And we need to get the Bitcoin Cash people on Monero, okay? This Bitcoin Cash stuff, like it's still a transparent chain and somebody asked me to look into this we'll get into this later can it be made private look second layer of solutions we're not fans of that we want privacy on the base protocol if it's not there then it's not real money as far as i'm concerned if you disagree leave an article or leave a comment leave a link something that i can look into to edify myself if you disagree (sighs) okay so let's take a break from the articles for a minute and just watch some educational videos on this stuff so This is more digestible. Thank you, Josh, for sending me this video. Why Blockstream destroyed Bitcoin? This guy's got some great articles, Decentralized Thought. Go ahead and give him a follow. I don't know if he's made anything recently. He also made this video. Pretty smart kid. So let's take a look at this. Blockstream hasn't been around for as long as many think, only being founded in 2014 by Adam Back and made public in 2015. Now employing most of the active Bitcoin Core developers, this new corporation has nearly complete control over Bitcoin Core, Bitcoin's single development team. Notice that I said corporation. Blockstream isn't a foundation. It isn't community-funded, donation-based, or even self-funded for that matter. 
It's a for-profit company with products, employees, and investors. But how does a for-profit company profit from developing a peer-to-peer decentralized cryptocurrency that is designed to have no intermediary roles to pull profit from? Well, you create them. Adam Back, Blockstream CEO, states, Blockstream plans to sell sidechains to enterprises, charging a fixed monthly fee, taking the transaction fees, and even selling the hardware. End quote. Sidechains are a separate blockchain that is pegged to Bitcoin's value. You send one Bitcoin to a smart contract and receive a new coin on the sidechain. Coins on the sidechain can differ from Bitcoin in just about any way. They can have better smart contract capabilities, offer instant transactions, or anonymity features. But the key difference between sidechains and the Bitcoin blockchain is that transaction fees don't go to the miners. They go to the developers of the sidechains. This should set off some major red flags. These profitable sidechains fill in the gaps of what Bitcoin is not capable of. The more Bitcoin is capable of, the less sidechains will be used. And the more limited Bitcoin is, more profit can be pulled by more users needing to use the sidechains. Blockstream doesn't make profit on what Bitcoin can do. Blockstream makes money on what Bitcoin cannot do, while in control over Bitcoin's development. This is a clear conflict of interest. You can take this to two extremes. One, if Bitcoin scales perfectly on-chain, has reliable instant transactions, and general smart contract capabilities, there will not be a need for side chains or second layers. The company will have no source of income and will eventually fail. Or the other extreme, if Bitcoin can't scale on-chain, has unreliable transaction times, high fees, no smart contract capabilities, there will be endless ways to profit from Bitcoin shortcomings. And we all know what has happened since 2015. Bitcoin's block size has not been raised. Transaction fees fluctuate wildly. Confirmation times are completely unreliable. Zero confirmation instant transactions were removed. The opcodes allowing smart contracts were also removed. All on-chain progress has been halted, other than compatibility upgrades for the integration of second layers. All while Blockstream has been working on their second layers, like Liquid and Lightning. Second layers on the Bitcoin chain are really more accurately described as fee-harvesting layers. Attempting to restore the original functionality of Bitcoin, while redirecting fees and decision-making from the miners to the developers. Blockstream's need for these fee-harvesting layers was further increased when they began raising investment money, taking a total investment of over $80 million from large institutions such as AXA Strategic Ventures and the Digital Currency Group, which have considerable ties to MasterCard, the Federal Reserve, the, the Federal Reserve, the Federal Reserve. So I want to make a connection for you guys right now. Uh, do you remember when they amended the bill? The Second Amendment came out, not the amendment to you know, but like the amendment sponsored by Warner and Cinema, and it wanted to make an exemption for proof of work mining. So they wanted to exempt Bitcoin mining from the necessity to file all these reports and abide by all these regulations because they wouldn't then be a broker, but they did not have proof of stake operators included in that. It was just proof of work. Presumably, 
to protect Bitcoin mining. So who lobbied on their behalf to make that happen? Just questions I have. Comment if you have a theory behind that. We're getting conspiratorial, guys. This is so conspiratorial, but uh, a lot of dots being connected here. Let me just tell you. Group and various other central banking entities raising further questions to the motives and ethical nature of those in charge of Blockstream. It's clear that their values are no longer in line with the original Bitcoin community, which is why most of them have left the BTC chain. Yeah, so uh, that's pretty interesting, right? Thank you, Josh, for sending that over. And we were talking about uh, censorship. This is just another conversation on Thamos, who we mentioned earlier in this video, who was sort of like the Jack Dorsey of the discussion, the public discussion on Bitcoin. And if you brought up any comments that were not in line with the program, you got booted out. And by the way, Jack Dorsey, very bullish on Bitcoin. Again, very concerning to me. Guy's a total globalist. He's a total censor. And when you realize that these mining operations can also be co-opted in order to determine what Bitcoins can be mined and what Bitcoins can't, and these government agencies start to work with you know, Cypher Trace, Cypher Blade, Chainalysis, Daxbit, and other forensic blockchain investigators that can employ artificial intelligence, that can employ Bayesian reasoning, and other tools to see what's going on on the blockchain and learn everything about it, okay, then that makes it very concerning because if they can censor the payments, which, by the way, makes it not fungible, fundamentally, but if they can do that, Jack Dorsey getting on the scene should scare the hell out of you. And he wants to make Bitcoin the native currency of Twitter. By the way, the same website, the same platform you can get deplatformed off of, even if you're the president of the United States. How many people have been kicked off Twitter? Tens of thousands? Could that happen with Bitcoin? Could the ADL, could Twitter, could PayPal, could all these companies, and by the way, PayPal is now working with the ADL to figure out who is allowed or checkmarked to use PayPal and the banks are debanking people in the conservative community. So the banks are kicking people off of the financial platforms. Do you think that this could not be used to kick people out of the financial system if they find out which wallet is yours? And you make a wallet, and if the only way to get crypto at some point is to get it off an exchange or to have somebody send you it, and you know, if you're trying to use Bitcoin in order to purchase things from certain corporations, and those corporations know who you are, like Amazon or like uh, Apple, where you know they have to know your name, your address, and all these things, and they're also in league with the ADL and PayPal. In this globalist network, okay, what if they make the decision? Okay, nobody can mine your coins. You send your coins, and before the uh, confirmations begin, they determine 
Sorry, this can't be mined. What if centralization gets to that point? I mean, this could happen, guys. And maybe I'm just being really conspiratorial about it, but look, I mean, as a pale male Christian, you know, it, these are things I have to be concerned about because the government is really turning up the heat on people like me, and I'm sure like people like some of you out there in the audience, and we don't want a currency which has these risks. We want something which is fungible, which is private, which can be transacted with anybody because it looks the same to anybody. It is cash in the true sense of the word. So, Jack Dorsey touted Bitcoin as the best candidate to become native currency of the internet. And remember, guys, that when the internet first came out, it wasn't by default private. And so there had to be something added on top of a lot of these websites which were made to make it uh, encrypted. Like when you went to a website pre, you know, 1999, when the internet was first getting huge, everyone could see who was coming to that website. They could see your IP address, and who knows if they know your IP address. Maybe they know other things about you. And so now they encrypted a lot of this stuff with HTTPS, right? And I'm not an internet whiz, but I'm pretty sure this is what's happened. And so then privacy became very popular for the internet, and I suspect the same thing's going to happen with internet money. Uh, it's going to go from being currency like Bitcoin, which everyone can see everything that's going on, to currency like Monero, where people value their privacy. And look at the VPN market. The VPN market is like, what, 30 to $35 billion per year? A third of the entire internet is using VPNs now. And that's set to increase, if I remember right, like 10% a year. Huge expansion in that market. So I suspect the same is going to happen with Monero, but we have to get the word about it out. Because when a lot of people think of cryptocurrency, they think of these surveillance coins. They don't think of Monero. They don't think of Darrow Pirate Chain and some of these other coins. I mean, I'd rather use Wow Nero than Bitcoin, right? But nobody knows about these currencies, so we have to get the word out. So share this video. Get people aware. Share this guy's video, too. This is an incredible video. This really woke me up to a lot of things. So... Again, this guy's like, oh, man, he's just rubbing his hands at the gains. Oh, yeah, the gains. Twitter, which is just a tool of censorship by the globalists, is going to be using Bitcoin. That's great news. Oh, gosh, it just gets worse. It may have been apparent how Dorsey has been a staunch Bitcoin advocate for years, but it wasn't until last week when he dubbed Bitcoin one of three trends for Twitter's future, along with artificial intelligence and decentralization. Oh, my gosh. Artificial intelligence. So we're already seeing this with Apple when they're starting to take a look at people's images that they have on their phone. They're going to deploy artificial intelligence. Now, what if that gets extended to things that they think are hate speech or things that they think are uh, things worthy of censorship? They're going to censor stuff off your phone. And if you post things on Twitter that they don't like, they'll deploy artificial intelligence to see whether or not that is part of the program, whether you're part of the globalist agenda, and they'll kick you off there. And maybe they will blacklist you from the Bitcoin mining community and regular – and we'll get into that in a later video. We'll really drill down on that so that you guys could 
understand what it is I'm trying to tell you in regards to that, because I know that's a little bit heady. Go look at Monero Talk. Uh, Bednar, B-E-D-N-A-R, he did an interview with uh, uh, Doug of Monero Talk talking all about the censorship of uh, Bitcoin mining and what could be coming in the future in a very dystopian conversation. It was also very... Uh, very useful information. I mean, I love these people on Monero Talk. Monero Talk, you got to go subscribe to those guys. They're fantastic. He touted Bitcoin as the best candidate to become native currency of the internet. God help us if that happens, folks. God help us. So I think it's hugely important to Twitter, blah, 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 blah. Now, I like DeFi. I think DeFi is great. But uh, just because it doesn't rely on centralized authorities doesn't mean it's not tracked or traced, and there won't be other centralized authorities which are monitoring it, right? I think DeFi is freaking wonderful. But uh, centralized authorities have a lot of power, and we'll see where that goes. Given what happened in the recent bill which may be passed, DeFi could be in trouble here in the United States. Now, a lot of people are saying, oh, this can't be enforced, but we talked about FACA, we talked about FAT. F, I believe, is the acronym, F-A-T-F, Financial Action Task Force, which is a global intergovernmental organization that combats money laundering. And they're already making developments against crypto. So, things I'm worried about. So, we're talking about censorship. Peter Schiff, just today. Bitcoin Maximus, Maximalist, i.e. Total Fool. Now, I like Max Kaiser. I think he's pretty smart. Calls out the banks a lot. Replied to the sweep, but since the coward blocked me, I can't reply directly. So, he blocks Peter Schiff. Now, I know people have opinions about both Peter Schiff and Max Kaiser, but on a scale regarding annoyance... I think Max Kaiser is a lot more annoying than Peter Schiff. I mean, they're both incredibly smart, and I wish they wouldn't block each other, and I wish they would have more conversations, even though Max Kaiser does kind of act like a fool and act like a child in regards to the debates. Uh, but look, censorship, more censorship. Nobody wants to tell these people kind of what's going on. So this is another uh, article. Jeff Berwick makes another appearance. You could look into this, talking more about Blockstream, what's going on in the background. And just look at who's involved in the Bilderberg group. Look at who this guy hangs around. Look at his little treehouse club. Former NSA director. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my Oh, Lord. Christine Lagarde, IMF director, Dutch Shell chairman, chairman of Google, former CIA director, chief of secret intelligence, MI6, Goldman Sachs, right? So, guys, like, not good. Not good. And... These wonderful people are talking about Monero. Take Monero, for instance. It is my favorite cryptocurrency. Brother, who are you? D. Selby. Great friend of our community. Even ahead of Bitcoin, of course. 
as it is the perfect digital abstraction of the century-old notion of fungible cash in the form of metal coinage and paper bills. Cash, as saying, as the saying goes, doesn't talk and affords people a level of privacy unthinkable in the banking system and credit card transactions. The current implementation of Monero obfuscates not only the identities of both the sender and the recipient, but also the amounts being transacted. Guys, that's huge. That's fantastic. So, Spaghini, Spagni, salutes to you, my man. I'd love to do an interview with him as soon as he gets out of jail. Hopefully that is something which happens. Hopefully they don't turn the screws on him to make The globalists have more leverage on Monero. I don't even know if that could happen. Just a concern that I have. But uh, yeah, Monero is our standard. This is another article on Blockstream. We've talked about a lot here. Uh, My mind's kind of already getting fried. We've had this go on quite a bit. Just... More stuff about the censorship tactics. The faceless shills of the Blockstream core party flood various forms in social media, particularly Twitter. Who runs Twitter? Oh, yeah, Jack Dorsey. And remember when he, you know they had a movement to try to get rid of Russian bots who were largely just people who in support of conservative ideas. And yeah, there were a lot of people in QAnon. That wasn't great. But uh, yeah, it was all about banning Russian bots. But when it comes to, I guess, Blockstream bots, that's totally cool. Distracting posts, changing gold posts, uh, and by using exec- excessive numbers, actually managed to sway public opinion to some degree. Paid trolls. Now, I don't know if this is all true. If they are paid trolls, this is just what this guy is saying. So, yeah, you just look more into this stuff. And we'll do a different video on the Lightning Network. If you guys have any comments on the Lightning Network, any articles for me to look into, I've been deep diving on that recently. There's a lot to go into there. A lot of it's pretty technical, so if you guys have anything that helps me understand it better, that would be fantastic if you threw that my way. So, just I think we went through this, right? Where there was an inflation bug in Bitcoin back in 2000 and something let's check the year so there was a uh, bug a while ago and it could have allowed for more inflation of the currency what they call an inflation bug which people erroneously say that Monero if it had an inflation bug couldn't be found this is not true so don't let people tell you that there are ways to audit the system to audit the block rewards and so everything could be calculated if there was an inflation bug it would have to be found on the chain on the protocol level but you can audit that stuff and you run into inflation bugs too with other cryptos and haven is based on the blockchain of monero 2 and they had an inflation bug and they were able to find that and fix it up even though They did inflate quite a bit of Haven. They got away with selling a little bit of it. They had to roll back the network. But this stuff could be 
fixed. So just stuff on that. And this is the last article we're going to get to today, folks. But look, this is just absurd. And I made a uh, Twitter post about this. Is this what the Bitcoin movement has really come to? Like, it started off as a, like, an anarcho-capitalist hub. And if you don't know what anarcho-capitalism means, it basically means pure capitalism, which involves no government, and anarchy means uh, no gods, no masters. And it was all about using Bitcoin as a way to bypass the banking system, bypass the central banks. That was the rally behind it. It was, in many ways, sort of like this uh, anti-government currency. It was a way to fight against the dollar. And a lot of the people in the uh, initial group in the initial movement were like, yeah, Bitcoin's going to become the world reserve currency. The dollar is going to go down and Bitcoin's going to become our new standard. Everyone's going to transact in Bitcoin and the world's going to be free. And we'll live in an anarcho-capitalist utopia and this is going to be awesome. That was the initial idea. That was what the apostles passed down to us, if you will. And now Michael Saylor, the new antichrist, you could say, of Bitcoin, explains how the U.S. dollar will move on Bitcoin rails in Saylor's view, the U.S. dollar will not only succeed over the next decade, but it will do so with the help of Bitcoin. So great, the U.S. dollar, which we've killed millions of people in this country to secure the dominance of, and we talked about this in yesterday's video, we invaded Iraq because Saddam Hussein wanted to start using euros more than the dollar to transact oil in, and look into the petrodollar if you don't understand the petrodollar system, very important to understand. We bombed the crap and killed... Uh, and I, I shouldn't say we, America and its financial elites did. We had nothing to do with that. They killed Muammar Gaddafi and they blew up Libya, which created a migrant crisis, which is going to take down Europe, take down the entirety of European civilization because they still haven't stemmed the migration problem from that yet. And that's going to change Europe forever. That, that gets me fired up. That's, but they bombed him because he wanted to start using something called the gold dinar. And he wanted to create an, a pan-African economic system where they used this gold dinar. They used a currency other than the dollar. Boom, we attacked him. You could go check out the WikiLeaks. You can go check out Hillary Clinton's emails where they talk about that. And we've done many things to secure the dollar. I'm pretty sure the situation in Syria was over oil pipelines. Again, probably has something to do with the petrodollar. It's one of the reasons why we don't like Russia. It's one of the reasons why we're so antagonistic towards them because they're trying to sell all their currencies or they're trying to sell all their oil in their own native currency, which is rubles. And they've shifted much more to using the euro and the yuan, the Chinese yuan. And we don't like that. We don't like countries that don't use the dollar for oil. Iran is another one of those countries. And I'm not saying these are, you know, pretty schoolboys, but I'm saying that, uh, I'm saying that they're our enemy for a reason. There are no good players in this, you know, global politique. Because politics is a game of evil, in my opinion. But, uh, yeah, we will go through the fight to secure the dollar and destroy civilization itself for it. And Michael Saylor, co-founder of MicroStrategy and Bitcoin enthusiast, recently shared his thoughts on the future of the U.S. dollar. 
and he explained how Bitcoin's adoption will actually help the dollar spread, which means he's going to help tyranny spread through Bitcoin by allowing more people to digitally use U.S. dollar and crypto rails. And mind you, because of the dollar system, we take advantage of all these third world countries. Like these other countries in the emerging markets, they make all these goods and we pay for those goods with U.S. treasuries. And as we went into that in previous videos, what we found out was that these U.S. treasuries are totally worthless. They're worse than worthless. They're actually yielding negative, which means they're like, you know, parasitical financial instruments. You hold these things and you lose financial power. It's another form of harvesting the population, if you ask me. But we give them these treasuries, which are worthless, for their goods, which are worth something. And they have to give us these goods because who are they going to sell it to? They can't exchange these goods for gold. They can't exchange these goods for other goods that we have because we don't make anything in the United States. It's not goods for goods. It's goods for inflated, crappy U.S. dollars. And we're the only system which can sustain this because we have a printing press. We have the U.S. reserve currency. If we need more stuff, we don't need to make stuff in order to balance our budgets, in order to have a trade surplus with which we can use to then buy goods from overseas. No, it's we have to give them inflated currency. We have a trade deficit every year of like $550 billion. That's $500 billion. And I think this year it's actually going to go over a trillion dollars. It's crazy. But that is money that we're giving to these people, which is at some point going to be worthless for their actual hard work. It's a system of total tyranny. The dollar system is a system of total tyranny. And I would listen to Peter Schiff more on that. He goes into that with great detail. So here we're talking about inflation. I think the U.S. dollar is going to spread to 5 billion people. I think that this decade is going to see the explosion of the U.S. dollar as the reserve currency of the world. It will be the digital currency. It will be on every iPhone and every Android in every country in Africa and Asia and South America. Oh, my good Lord. And it will move on Bitcoin rails. The Bitcoin Open Monetary Protocol is what, we, is what will allow the U.S. dollar to spread to billions of people. In an inflationary environment, money breaks down into two forms. There's a medium of exchange that will be the currency, and that will be controlled by governments. And the U.S. is probably going to be the most powerful one especially with this going on. Thanks, Michael. And then you need a store of value. That, that is an asset, and Bitcoin is the most powerful store of value on Earth. So they're going to track all of your financial activity through the U.S. dollar because, thank you, Michael, we're all going to be using the U.S. dollar as the medium of exchange, not Monero. Who would want that? Who would want an actual private uh, form of digital currency or cash that can't be inflated into oblivion? And then you have a store of value like Bitcoin, which, again, they're going to track. So... We're all going to stay on this tyrannical surveillance financial system, this panopticonical tyrannical system, uh, as per the vision of Michael Saylor. Thanks, Michael. Thank you. And it's just crazy how so many people are like thinking this guy is just the savior. Saylor the savior. Uh, is arguing that developments in Bitcoin and cryptocurrency are overall good for the U.S. dollar. Oh, my gosh. It's just, uh, it's just unbelievable. It, and if that's the case, that's why they haven't come after it. And they're going after it now because maybe they're getting a little bit nervous. But 
uh, to say it's overall good for the U.S. dollar. Now, could he maybe be saying this because he's trying to prevent them from going after crypto to try to influence the people in power enough with these enchanting lies to say that cryptocurrency is good for the U.S. dollar so that they don't come after cryptocurrency, so that they don't come after Bitcoin? Maybe this is some kind of way to deter the coming regulation, which is always going to come, right? So, uh, yeah, this is just crazy. As Bitcoin spreads around the world, the U.S. dollar benefits. It's just, this was not what Satoshi Nakamoto intended. This is not what the anarcho-capitalist apostles of Satoshi Nakamoto wanted. Seriously, this guy's like the antichrist of the Bitcoin religion, as far as I could tell. And uh, I think everyone's going to follow him into oblivion. I think Bitcoin is a bubble. I think it's a trap, even worse than being a bubble. Because even if you make millions of dollars in Bitcoin, is that worth your soul? Is that worth them spying on you and having total control over you in art civilization? Because they're breaching the fronts on many other sides of this battlefield. And on the side of cryptocurrency, which is a very important fight, a very important front against the globalist tyranny. I think that they are going to be able to breach the front through Bitcoin. That's what the thesis of this entire video is. So we have to get into privacy or we have to get into cryptocurrencies, guys, that aren't surveillance coins. Let me just put it that way. We've got to stop calling these things privacy coins. They're cryptocurrencies. These are surveillance coins. And we need to rally to cryptocurrencies and fulfill what the initial vision was, which was to have the power of money back in the hands of the people. Not the tyrannical, technocratic elites. Man, I'm fired up. Sailor is arguing that these decentralized protocols gain worldwide popularity. Individuals begin using them to transact with U.S. dollars, which will reinforce its global relevance. Why would people do that? So, <laughs> good Lord. So, he doesn't want crypto to be used as a medium of exchange according to these arguments here. He still wants the U.S. dollar to be the medium of exchange. He still wants the central bank in its crappy fiat currency, which they have total control over, to be the cash that Bitcoin was initially supposed to be in accordance with what the white paper was supposed to lay out, right? So, peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system. But Sailor, you see... He wants the U.S. dollar to be cash, not Bitcoin. Bitcoin, he wants to have it be a store of value. The reason he thinks Bitcoin will not replace U.S. dollar as a currency is because users will instantly see its significance as a store of value and will prefer to still use dollars as a means of paying for goods and services as a medium of exchange. So I'll ask you guys, leave a comment. Let's make this an open discussion. Is this your vision for cryptocurrency? Is this what you want for the dollar to continue to reign supreme as the world reserve currency? For the central banks to continue their reign as the global emperors of our world? Or do you want private peer-to-peer -peer money which can bypass all of these tyrannical systems?
Crazy to me, guys. Crazy to me. I'll end it there. Actually, let's watch one little video here. Let's just indulge in Adam back, who we learned a little bit about today. Let's see what he yeah, thinks of, of Monero. That's, that's, uh, <laughs> now, of course, that's, that's uh, potentially a politically sensitive thing to do because it's very, very anonymous. Um, so then on the general question, like a kind of philosophical question, if, if we could do this, should we? Or would society tolerate it? So if, if we say there's a new electronic cash system, um, like zero cash, but without the trapdoor and more efficient cryptography, maybe some... When he talks about society accepting it, is he talking about the elites? Because the elites will certainly not accept this. And if Monero becomes ever more popular, like they will definitely pull out the stops to make that not a thing. They will come up with some something, uh, hopefully using not to advance cryptography so that people can be confident in it. So if somebody cracks that kind of cryptographic challenge, um, then it will provide fungibility, which is good. But as I say, is, is society ready for full anonymous electronic cash where you can transfer a billion dollars or one cent and it's completely anonymous so nobody, you can see that transactions are happening, but you don't know who's, who's paying. Yes. Our answer, ladies and gentlemen, is yes. We are ready. And if we're not ready, we have to be ready because the globalist assault is upon us. They're making their move. Whether it's on the VAC stuff, whether it's on giving the illegals amnesty so that they could vote for the Democrats and turn the entire United States into a one-party democratic system and pretty much bring communism in its full-throttle, unmitigated potential down upon the population to where the global empires are all communist because China's already communist. Russia, thank God, is a little bit over the communism. They still have a little bit of centralized authority over there, however. And then you'll have the United States, which will be like a woke communism, which is going to be like a worse communism than what's already going on in China because they don't have a lot of this other stuff that we're having to deal with. I mean, they're not so excited about the... Well, we'll get into that. I mean, that's, that's for another channel. But uh, they're not as beta as we are. Let's just put it that way. Okay. But we need to get into uh, these cryptocurrencies. We need to get into these cryptocurrencies or we will find ourselves in a situation we don't want to find ourselves in. We've got a rally to Monero. May Monero be our earthly salvation. May Jesus Christ be our eternal salvation. And yes, we love Christianity on this channel. I know that a lot of people who tune, on, tune into this don't believe that, but look, we're up against evil. And I believe that along with Monero, we need to rally to Jesus Christ. And uh, I have a Sunday stream every Sunday. We talk about God and Christianity and some interesting things there. They're my least popular videos, if you could imagine. But look, it's something I truly believe. Yeah, but we'll leave that for another another time. So... I hope, guys, you found value from this. I hope that uh, we could have some conversations and continue to share ideas. I've learned a lot from you guys, and I really appreciate uh, everything that you're bringing to my attention. If it wasn't for Josh, it wasn't if it wasn't for some others, I wouldn't have learned all this stuff. And I went from being rather agnostic about Bitcoin to realizing, yeah, this is this is uh, problematic. So uh, we definitely need to educate people on Monero. We need to educate people on these cryptocurrencies, which are not surveillance coins. And we need to save people.
from this growing technocratic tyranny, which is enveloping us. And uh, let's do that. Let's make it happen. So this is Manero Mateo. I hope you enjoyed the video. Uh, we make videos pretty much every day here talking about the developments. And uh, if you want to donate to the channel, that'd be very nice. I have my links below, my addresses for Monero, Pirate Chain, and Darrow. Uh, if you recommend another privacy crypto for me to look into, I'll take a look at that. Maybe I'll make a video. I have a Zcash video coming. Somebody had recommended that at some point, so we'll, we'll do some work on that. Uh, so, yeah, follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Gab. Same name, Monero Bateo. Same thing with Odyssey. Follow me on Odyssey in case YouTube decides that they don't like what we're posting on this channel. Uh, it's a good backup channel, so check me out there. I have the link below as well. So I hope that you guys have a wonderful day. God bless.